Moorhead is no more. Well, he's not dead. Let's be very clear about that. He has never been more alive professionally, but he is no more within the Penn State football universe, officially leaving as offensive coordinator to take over the head job at Mississippi State. Certainly congratulations to him as Andrew Callahan and Sean Fitz on an emergency episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast as we have crossed into midnight on Wednesday. And uh, first of all, before we shout out Joe, shout out to you. You are awake. You are alert. Um... And it's something that, you know, you got to do sometimes. I am here. Yeah, I can definitely vouch for that. Um, but yeah, Joe Moorhead, extremely fun to cover. Uh, laid back guy. Love walking by him in his Sanex and just, you know, how you doing, buddy? Good to see you. All that kind of stuff. In his uh, what? In his Sanex. You know, his... Uh, oh, Jesus. You made it sound like he's carrying around pills in his Xanax. <laughs> Wow. Well, it's after midnight. Um, <laughs> Good but, start. No, um, no. Joe was great to cover. I, I think you can ag- agree with that. And what he did yes. for Penn State football, I mean, man, it, he's had quite an impact over the last couple of years. He has, and that's where I think we should start uh, tonight because ultimately, you know, th- there's so many different areas you got to cover in a major coaching search. But to understand where they're going to go, you need to understand where they've come from. And when he arrived after the 2015 season, this is an offense that was averaging barely over 23 points per game. We'll delve a little bit more into that. What he did during his two seasons at Penn State, who and what he could take away down to Starkville, and then, of course, where does Penn State go from here? But moving backwards, the end of 2015, this is another 7-5 and five year for Penn State. They had lost a number of games down the stretch. And when you think about what they were running offensively, which was the same stuff that, that Franklin has over his tenure and, and with John Donovan, who was then let go, this was an offense that had a bye week, I remember, leading up to their homecoming, or I'm sorry, whiteout game against Michigan. It's senior day. They've had two weeks to prepare. This could really be the first signature win. And what they trot out offensively, again, against a very good defense, was was the Wildcat. This was the big innovation of this pro-style attack that really struggled. No surprise, they lost to Michigan that day. But in comes Joe Moorhead with much of the same personnel, and of course an improved Saquon Barkley, and takes that 23 points per game all the way up to 37 and a half. Yeah, it was pretty ridiculous what he was able to do. Of course, he brought in his own system. What James Franklin did was was make him the head coach of the offense, sort mm-hmm. of take a step back, which obviously was, was something that worked and was something that they needed. So um, what he was able to do, uh, you know, you, you change it up in the college game. You got Trace McSorley, a guy that can move around a little bit more. Of course, you had Barkley, you, you one year older than than Donovan had, and you had Chris Godwin going up and making those ridiculous catches. It helps, no doubt. Uh, offensive line still wasn't good. They they masked that for what they could. Um, you know, it's still not great as he leaves, but at the same time, I mean, Penn State has put up some numbers. Uh, they put up uh, what 37.6 points per game in, in 2006, 41.6 points per game this 2016. year. 2016. Yeah, yeah, after midnight. 2016, uh, 41.6 this season. Um, they've just, you know, all around been improved, and there's still holes in that. But but at the same time, I mean, you look where you're at two years ago. You look where you're at right now. Joe Joe Moorhead earned his shot. He earned his money, and he's, you know, earned the right to, to, to a big-time coaching job, and that's what he's got. Right, and, and for my money – as big a reason as any is why we're talking about Penn State now for the second straight year, likely finishing in the top 10 and going to a New Year's Six Bowl. And it's not only just that he is so good at what he does, but also he stepped into a good situation. I mean, this is a good hire by Franklin. You look at the personnel great, he's able to great use. Hire. Yeah. Already talked about Trace. Already talked about Saquon Barkley. Good weapons on that side. And the system itself was able to make up for the deficiencies up front. But again, where you credit him is the development of the entire offense as well as those individual players. Because you look at the last 
last few games of 2016. You know, they're dropping 49 points uh, against USC in the Rose Bowl. You're getting close to 40 against Wisconsin, over 40 against Michigan State in the regular season finale. And then you're just blowing out Iowa at home. And it's just in the key spots where they needed it most. Not only was the second half team, they were at their best when they needed it. But over the course of the entire year, that's good coaching. That's good development. That's quality adjustments. And it's just that total package where you go, we can talk about Joe Moorhead's X and O's. I did every week for the last two seasons. But the ability to bring out the best in his players is a unique you know, necessary quality in any good coach. And it's one that is easy to identify in great coaches. And that's absolutely what Joe was. And it, not only that, people talk about, oh, is, you know, people have been able to figure out his offense as the season progressed. He got better. And then this year, better than 41 points per game. Yeah. And let's not forget, this was fun to watch. I mean, Penn State football a couple of years ago was a chore to watch. Yes. Joe Moorhead comes in. They start putting up points. They start doing some exciting things, making some wrinkles that aren't the wild cat, of course. You know, they did some... Some direct snaps. Direct this year. snap. Thank you. But uh, no, it's been fun to watch, uh, and like I said, he does, he certainly deserves it. Uh, Mississippi State, interesting choice for him, seeing as I think the furthest he's been from from this area is Akron in his college career. So it's going to be a challenge for him to to go in there to establish relationships to you know bring in a new staff because James Franklin's staff has been with James Franklin the entire time, with the exception of a couple of guys. Um, so there are challenges ahead of Joe Moorhead, but at the same time, there are also challenges ahead of Penn State to replace him. Right. And I think when you look at Moorhead, too, you know, the recruiting thing is going to be a huge deal there. I think you've always got that. I think we talked about it last week, that bump, you know, this big name, you know, even Nick Fitzgerald with what would have been the tweet of the week. And we've been you know, honoring one uh, this week, just excited about what he's going to bring because it, it – it didn't take a whole lot to come to know who Joe Moorhead was, whether it was the Rose Bowl game a year ago, what he's been able to do this season as just simply a fan of college football. I mean, he's been a media darling, you know, essentially after the midway point of last season. Um, and he's earned that job, and he was turning down Minnesota. Purdue, well, Purdue didn't turn down Purdue, but interviewed for the Purdue job and was a hot name a year ago after just one season. So it's a rare guy and also a fun guy to cover, as you said in the beginning, not only his offense, but just someone who was always so open and genuine. And of course, there are things as a coach you need to hold back, but was happy to talk X's and O's, which of course, you know, excites me, but just a guy who, who you felt was very much in touch with the world outside of his office, outside of the football building, outside of things that were just going on with the sport and an industry that typically is also consuming. And you've got coaches who you know, don't know the basics of news that's going on outside of the sport. Yeah, he's cool as hell. I think that's the yeah. short way to put that. Yeah, um, yeah he's, he's a pretty cool guy to cover, pretty pretty guy, uh, you know, just to, to interact with him. And we do, the, you know, the luncheon every year and we're, we're around the staff in casual situations and he's just, he's a casual guy. Um, at the same time, he's, you know, he's, he's very driven. He's a guy that's very, um, you know, focused on what he needs to do and he, he lives and breathes football. And um, I think that's part of the, part of the reason why you're seeing him take this job and, and uh, you know, he would have other opportunities. I think if this guy, if this came up, I think I, I, with, with the Mississippi state job, it just came up so fast. I think that's why it might surprise yes. people. I don't think people were surprised that he's leaving, but it just, you know, sort of came on what Monday night, um, you know, sort of escalated throughout the day. You know, Mississippi State was looking at a couple of different, more defensive guys, and you know, in Atlanta, interviewing guys and what with experience in that area. Yeah, too. absolutely, and 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 that's you know that says something about how bad Mississippi State wanted Joe Moorhead for them to go completely out of the area. You know, he's got a mock staff, uh, you know, probably in line, but at the same time, I mean, you, you still got to get those guys to come with you. So, um, 
kudos to Mississippi State for reaching out, doing what they needed to do. I'm sure they're paying him more than Penn State could have paid him as a as a uh, yes. coordinator. So you know it's it, it is what it is. Uh, hats off to Joe. Yes. Now the most interesting part to me, you know, you get the big name in there. Obviously, it excites the fan base. Your next few moves are going to be arguably the most critical any coach makes in their tenure. Who are you going to hire? Around you. I thought you were talking about puns with his name, but anyway, go on. No, no, <laughs> no. Okay, yeah. Who are you going to hire? Are you going to bring anybody with with you from Penn State? That's the thing about James Franklin's staff. I mean, they've all been together for so long. You've got guys, uh, you know, like Josh Gaddis, who's been there forever. Sean Spencer has been with him since Vanderbilt. Uh, Brent Pry, very loyal to him as well. Um, but, but your mind now runs to the exceptions because right. those guys, obviously, with ties to Franklin for so long, they're not going to lead less it's likely a head coaching job as Joe has done. Right. So then in that department, my first name that comes to mind is Mel Imgrover. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, that that makes sense. He and uh, Joe are Pittsburgh guys. They're tight guys. They go out recruit together. They they obviously spend a lot of time together in the offensive meeting room. So Matt Limegrover is a guy that you, you you have to watch. I mean, you know, I think Matt is happy in state college, but at the same time, I mean, if he's got an opportunity, and 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 I think it goes back to you know what can he provide you? I don't think Matt Limegrover wants to be a a coordinator again after what he went through at Minnesota. Um, you look at a guy like Andrew Briner, who's you know might be on Penn State's uh, short list as well, coming from Fordham. But Andrew Briner could also be heading to, to Mississippi yes. State. So um, Lime Grover, I think, on the offensive side of the ball is the obvious choice. Um, you know, Charles Huff is ha- hasn't been a guy that's been with them since Vanderbilt. Um, he, you know, he's going to move up the ranks. He's going to be a head coach at some point. He's not there yet. Well, um, I'll clear that up right now because I sat down with him over the bye week and we talked <laughs> about that very idea because his – greatest points on his resume right now are coaching special teams because in that position you're going to be in contact with a variety of players in offense defense and of course in in his own phase but he sees that as his most likely springboard to a head coaching job which is going to be much lower in the rank so he's pretty much at the highest point he'll be until that stage I think he's aware of it and is content as he sees it now being at Penn State with the success that they're having and the fact they're bringing more and more talented players. I also think he coached a good running back. Name escapes me right now. But no, well, it is Huff, after midnight. Huff is a guy that he's going to move on at some point, um, but I don't know if this is the right I – don't, I don't know if Moorhead would take him along as a coordinator, bump him up. I don't, I don't see him taking a move unless it's a coordinator job or you know, particularly a, a smaller head coaching job. Right. So, Akeel Lynch, by the way, the running back you're looking for. That's it. Okay, that's very it. good. Um, another name. Nick Yuri. <laughs> Mark Dupuis, the graduate assistant, arrived from Fordham after coaching wide receivers there in 2016 and 2015. Um, you know, again, mentioned Andrew Brinder. I, I don't know if that will be a struggle between the two schools. I think if I'm him going to the SEC as an offensive coordinator to be reunited with Joe, I think is extremely appealing. He's also um, from Pennsylvania, went to Lock Haven, graduated 20 or 2006 before going to UConn where he met Moorhead and then followed him to Fordham. It, that could be an interesting name in, in play or perhaps for neither situation. Um, but, you know, the, the names that will follow are so critical, like I said at the beginning, not only for the purposes of they're going to impact your program as much as you are, because they're the ones with all the hands-on work, developing your players, recruiting them, installing game plans. But he's got to have a mix between guys he knows he's familiar with and will do a good job and those who know the area. So those names, I think, are beyond our reach right now, unless you have a couple names of Mississippi State, Mississippi area recruiters. No, I don't really interact with those guys, but, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's so important. Uh, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, down there, everybody is so tight. And, and that's the thing that, you know, that's, that, that's to me the question. If Joe Moorhead's going to have success, 
I mean, they're taking a chance from that from that aspect to to bring a guy in that you know has never recruited the area. Of course, he he's recruited Atlanta, he's recruited Georgia. I wouldn't be shocked if he went after Justin Fields here in the in the stretch run. But at the same time, uh, you know, it just does not have those contacts that a lot of those schools. Which is why you know someone like Jeremy Pruitt looked looked to be a guy that was you know in line to take that job. What four <laughs> hours ago, five hours ago? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, so I think that's the big question and he'll have to bring in guys, you know, Penn state brought in Terry Smith. I mean, you know, it's not a huge, uh, huge move by them at any point, but he knew a lot of Penn state or excuse me, Pennsylvania coaches, Pittsburgh guys and all that stuff. So you need those guys to sort of bridge the gap and to, uh, you know, to sell to the Mississippi guys, especially Louisiana, which is a great state for talent. Georgia is a great state for talent. Of course, Alabama as well. So um, I think that, you know, when he moves on and gets to his new staff, he's got to bring guys in from those areas. Right. Okay. Moving on to personnel. Lots of questions already pouring in. We didn't ask for a mailbag, but we'll get to the biggest question now. Any recruits do you see departing with Moorhead? It's a, it's a huge jump. It's a big leap going from Penn State to Mississippi State. Personally, I don't, I don't see that unfolding uh, with the nature of this class and, and who he's had a hand in. But it, it's something you've obviously got to keep an eye out for no matter what situation is surrounding your coaching change. Joe Moorhead's recruitment at Penn State was, was good. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't in depth where he was a guy that was going out and getting kids. He was a, he was a guy that was responsible for quarterbacks for the most part. He, he handpicked his guys. So, you know, a 2019 guy like Taquan Roberson is a guy that he offered, you know, after seeing him in camp twice. So, you know, I don't see that decision changing whatsoever. But at the same time, I mean, that I, if you're going to go for an angle, I think it's got to be the quarterback angle. Okay. Um, he, he was more of an assist guy. Um, you know, he, he went out and he visited kids with other coaches that, you know, were maybe a little bit more aggressive in recruiting. Um, but he was mostly a quarterback's guy, went all over the place. Uh, you know, he, w- he would be the guy that popped up in California and in Texas to watch these guys throw and ultimately make the decision on whether or not they're offered. It was a huge part, to, you know, and a guy we just mentioned, Justin Fields, was a huge part of why he was committed for so long. And I think he'll go after him at Mississippi State. But I, I digress there. Um, Will Levis is the guy that Penn State has in their class right now. And, you know, he, we've talked to him already tonight and he's pretty solid. I mean, he's obviously sorry to see him go because, you know, this is a guy that put up a lot of points and anytime you're in this situation, it's going to be tough to move on and move to the next guy and trust the next guy when you've been recruited by Moorhead for a year or so. But this possibility Um, has been out there for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Joe Moorhead's one of the hottest, uh, assistant coaches in the game. I mean, forget coordinators, forget, uh, you know, this is a guy that was going to pop up at some point for some job. So him leaving is not the surprise. I mean, it, it doesn't surprise you and I, uh, the timing in terms of how quickly this went might surprise some people, but at the same time, I mean, everybody knew that this was a possibility or a probability coming, coming down the stretch. Will Levis is a guy that, uh, you know, they recruited at camp. Moorhead saw him, Franklin saw him, really liked him and offered him. He's not going anywhere. I mean, he's signed in a couple of weeks. He told me tonight he's he's 110% on board. Um, you know, you look at the the other offensive guys in the class, and there's a little bit more of a connection to the position coach with guys like Justin Shorter and Daniel George with Josh Gaddis, um, Ricky Slade with Charles Huff. So Moorhead, while, you know, he was a figure that you could go to um, and expect to get numbers out of for some of these recruits, wasn't a big person-to-person recruit. Not to say he can't do that, and I expect him to do that at Mississippi State. 
but he wasn't a guy that was going to go out and and win over somebody that was not a quarterback, basically. Right, not the role he served in the staff, right. um, which you know had had its recruiting plan and executed it for so many years. Of course, at Vanderbilt, now at Penn State, developed those relationships, and you know he had his own, of course, within the area. But uh, as you said, was not one of those leading recruiters. I think for Penn State in, in the role that you would typically think of. And- and with with the December signing period popping up, which is brand new, you know, I think there's there's a little bit of initiative for Penn State to get moving. Where there's certainly an initiative for Mississippi State, for Tennessee, for Florida, for all these uh, UCLA as well, for all these staffs to get going, so they can get these guys locked in by December 20th. You can get them on board. Um, you can get them in for official visits and things like that. So I think that's the important thing. And and I don't expect Penn State to wait around around. Um, excuse me, wait around very long to name a new offensive coordinator. Um, so I think that, and I think that has something to do with it. The good news is with the 2019 kids, you, you know, you're recruiting Taquan Robinson, uh, excuse me, Taquan Roberson. They were in Iowa on Tuesday to see Max Duggan, who came in and camped and got an offer. Garrett Schrader remains on the board. And I don't really see anything changing in terms of the style uh, of quarterback that Penn State is looking for um, be- because it's worked. You know, that's a, that's the thing you keep going back to. For sure. One last note on Mississippi State and recruiting and Moorhead and all that before we move on to his potential replacements. Their class right now, number 15 in the country for the 247 composite rankings. You're looking at two top wideouts, one who's a JUCO candidate, the other a top 200 kid. Right below them, a, a dual-threat quarterback out of Texas, number 278 in the country overall. Isaiah, uh, Isaiah Humphrey's teammate, yes. Yeah. Jalen Maiden. Jalen Maiden, uh, safety, defensive end, running back. So, so it looks like not only just the quality of talent there, it's the number five class currently in the SEC, but just the positions that you would want for someone who's stepping in, going to develop his own offense, and then looking at safety and defensive end, you know, a couple defensive ends actually, the positions you would need then to apply pressure, you know, on opposing offenses and quarterbacks. He seems to be stepping into a great situation with Nick Fitzgerald, and then also the class that he's got coming in, which of course he'll have his own judgments and grades on. Right. But, you know, from our perspective and how we've ranked them in our system, you know, Mississippi State's doing doing quite well, and that's a credit to Dan Mullen and the staff before him. They're right now ahead of the likes of LSU Clemson, uh, Tennessee separate, but USC far down below. So Mississippi State, number 15, they're locked in a good spot. So he, he's got a lot going for him. There's plenty of talent down there. He, he won't have a problem finding talent. It's actually really interesting, though. Mississippi State, uh, their, their quarterback uh, commit in the 2018 class, Jalen Maiden, um, Penn State did not offer him. He actually came up for an unofficial visit with with Isaiah Humphreys two years ago. Penn State did not offer him. Mississippi State just lost a 2019 uh, quarterback commit, Jalen Jones, who was in St. Francis Academy in Baltimore. Penn State also did not offer him. So it'll be interesting to see which direction he moves. I know he's he's offered quite a few uh, quarterbacks from Texas over the last couple of years, and of course Mississippi's great, uh, you know, a pretty good state for for uh, football, and, and Louisiana's fantastic. So. Um, it'll just be interesting to see the shift. And if you hear Mississippi state pop up, um, sort of going against Penn state in the next couple of years, I expect it to given all the connections he has up North, but at the same time, I mean, he's got a lot of talent to work with down there for sure. Okay. Uh, and as we close out this segment names, most likely, I mean, we talked about Matt Limegrover, Mark Dupuis, of course, and some other connections he's had up here. But in terms of Penn State staff, if the recruits aren't going to fall, how likely is it through a couple of assistants go with Joe Moorhead to Mississippi State? Yeah, I, I don't see – I mean, Lime Grover, you know, guys like I, – I see it like Herb Hand. I don't think it's a deal-breaker for a lot of those guys. So, um, you know, No, no, Penn, no, but for him, just just Lime Grover. Just Lime Grover? Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's a huge deal, to be honest with you. Do you think he stays in? 
I think I, I think I'm kind of up in the air. I think it's too soon to say that right now. Um, but I and I misunderstood the question. But yeah, I, <laughs> I I'm could, running out of free passes over here. If you couldn't tell, um, <laughs> but uh, after midnight, um, no. But uh, if he change, I, I I go back to the offensive line. If he changes, I don't th- I don't see it much happening. Where you know Gaddis Huff, if those guys were to go, I think it would be a bigger bigger deal. So no one is following Joe Moorhead in your mind to Mississippi State. I wouldn't say coach, that. coach or player, coach or player. Uh, <laughs> what's interesting with that is more people are worried about Tommy Stevens than anyone else. So when you're talking about following as a player, you know that's the big one, obviously. But with Nick Fitzgerald there, doesn't make a ton of sense for him to go. Okay, let's uh, make this cut and dry. Where does Penn State go from here? Top offensive coordinator candidates now to replace him. We put something up on the site immediately. There's a list there. It's VIP. We'll give you a couple because we're going to continue to add to this list. But there are two right off the top. We've already mentioned one, Andrew Briner, current Fordham head coach. The other one, he's already on staff, Ricky Ronnie. Ricky Ronnie, to me, is the obvious choice. I mean, this is so much different than when Penn State brought in Joe Moorhead. James Franklin brought in Joe Moorhead to run his offense, to be the head coach of the offense, to you know sort of stay away and do his thing and put up points, and he did that and, and more. This time around, the system is in place. I, they're not changing from this system. I mean, this it's worked. They're they're rolling with it. You might see a few kinks here and there, and, and going back and forth, but you need someone to run this system, and that's gonna obviously limit your pool of guys that you're going to go after. So Ricky Ronnie has been a guy that's studied under Moorhead for the last two years. He's a smart guy. He's sharp. Um, you know, he, I, I think he can make that transition. He's been a quarterback's coach. He's coached tight ends for the last two years. I think he can make that transition to offensive coordinator. And to me, he's, he's the obvious candidate. Doesn't have the experience that you may want calling plays and things like that. But, but, but I think that he is smart enough to make it happen. He is, and I think his experience that you mentioned, coaching quarterbacks and tight ends is really critical in my mind, and it's also unique relative to the other candidates because those are the two positions from a coaching perspective and even from a a learning as a player that are going to be the most complex and difficult to deal with when installing a new offense. So not only do you need to know it as a player, but if you're coaching those positions, you need to know it inside and out because, you know, quarterbacks obvious, don't need to explain that. But from a tight end perspective, you were involved in all of the protections. You're involved in all of the checks. You're involved in all of the potential uh, route adjustments, hot routes, and even if you're going to get split out wide, we know how dependent Penn State is, is having Mike Diasicki as kind of the linchpin of their base run, which is a split zone, which he's active in blocking in, but also as a downfield threat when he split out. If he's a little bit offline as an H-back, he's in there for all their max protection play action calls. So Ricky Ronnie has come to know the system just like the other coaches, but he's done so that he needs to know it, you know, really at a different level. And so I think that allows him to teach it differently. Not that the other coaches couldn't, but his experience with the quarterbacks, with the tight ends very recently, running backs further back in his past at Kansas State. And as a guy who, who James himself has said, I'm excited to see him as a coordinator one day. I think that all points in that direction. The only thing that would stop him in my mind is if there's such an obvious candidate in James's mind that he would want to pull from the outside to, to plug in. That none, No name jumps out to us. I mean, speaking for myself, no one 
no one jumps out right now. No, not really. Okay, and then the other part would be if he just feels like, for whatever reason, Ricky's not quite ready to step into that role, which which is not a knock on him. But, you know, these evaluations are going on subtly and silently all the time in that building. But James has said for how long you're, you're constantly being evaluated. There's no real job interview needed, whether it's players looking to become GAs or assistants to become coordinators. I mean, he's constantly evaluating. He's got his list. And, and for our money, I mean, I mean, Ricky Ronnie's going to be at the top of that. Yeah, and, it, and it's good you mentioned the list. Uh, we wrote a story on that right away just to sort of buy us some time actually um with with an interview that we did with james franklin over the summer i mean he's he's ready to go i mean this is something that he's been preparing for um not just with the offensive coordinator position but with all of them i mean he's he says he's got a list uh kevin threlko is the director of player performance or whatever um you know he's got a list of 30 guys at each position he's ready to make a move so um, he did this last time. Moorhead was right at the top or right near the top where, you know, guys that impress him, guys that fit into what they're trying to do. And and I don't that that's another reason I don't see this uh, playing out so long. So um, Franklin's going to be ready to tackle it. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, you know, he'll, he'll probably talk to some people. He's probably already talked to some people, reach out and and made some things happen on that front. So. Um, I don't think we have to sit around long just based off of how prepared, you know, he's going to be, and he's not stupid. I mean, Joe Moorhead, you know, is a guy that's always, we've always talked about leaving. So, I mean, he's, he's been ready for this. He's been waiting for this. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's already reached out to five or six guys already. Now, save for a name, some just a physical body, mind to replace Joe Moorhead, I think there are a couple of traits that are going to be necessary for this offense, specific not only to next year, but just as a whole, if you want to continue to have that success. And we said it at the opening, you know, what made and makes Moorhead unique is is the total package nature of what he brings as a coach. I mean, motivation is what we hear all the time for people that he's worked with. The ability to draw out the best in his players. X and O's, of course, are at a premium. But, you know, I think the creativity from that aspect to have to innovate constantly. And we've seen it this year, the two quarterback package, direct direct snap stuff, some other different trick plays, things that were different from a year ago. I think whoever steps into his shoes, if it's Ricky Ronnie or if it's somebody else, has got to continue to do that. And they've also got to be able to develop, as Joe has, you know, you look at the top with Trace McSorley and how his completion percentage has jumped. There are a guy like Mike Kosicki who's made big strides blocking and receiving. That they need to do that next year because this is going to be a much younger offense, even if Trace is still at the helm that you're going to need to bring out the best in them because it's got to be a unit that's greater than the sum of its parts because you're not going to be able to rely on a, a Mike Kosicki or Deshaun Hamilton in big spots. Juwan Johnson could continue to develop, but, you know, is a guy who we've only seen for one year. So that creativity has got to be there. They must be an excellent teacher. And those are two things that, you know, outside of motivation, all that stuff behind closed doors that we don't see are the two things that stand out most about Moorhead and I think are the biggest reasons why Penn State has succeeded, you know, under his direction. Yeah, tough to argue with that. I, there's, there's certainly potential there next year, and I think there's going to be expectations for results for next year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing. I mean, how – how, how can you take what you've seen from Joe Moorhead, who has been a guy that's made some really good adjustments over his two years and, and really has made some things happen and put those points up on the board? How are you going to take what, what you've got from him, even if even if they bring in a guy that hasn't learned under him, how do you take from that and, and sort of parlay that into your own sort of uh, way of calling a game? So, um, yeah, creativity is going to be huge, coaching him up. Um, you know, it's you're going to have the advantage of having a senior quarterback who's played a lot of football, um, so, so we will see. 
Rookie Ronnie also calling Joe Moorhead a couple of weeks ago the best offensive coordinator in the country. That's something you're always going to say nice about your coworkers, particularly those who lead you to 40 points per game. Um, but, you know, if he felt that strongly about Joe, I have every reason to believe that, you know, within his own personality, which is very different than Joe's, he's going to look to emulate as much as what Joe did during his time here. Yeah. Should I, he again be named the coordinator? You should. I mean, you should. I mean, if you're Ricky <laughs> Ronnie, you do everything you can to be Joe Moorhead. So, yeah. um, and, that, and that's obviously, you know, we're, we're sort of, downplaying that and, and taking it lightly but at the same time yeah absolutely I mean the guys put up 40 almost 42 points per game this season yeah I think it'd be pretty good to emulate him okay so top two names Ricky Ronnie Andrew Briner for the rest of the names you're going to have to check out the piece which we have is online it is VIP uh, but some general guidelines I think it's fair to throw out right now because again they're going to keep the system so this is a one back offense it's going to use a variety of different tempos I think the experience within the system um, is going to be important and if it's not experience within the system you still need to be able to be familiar with the West Coast passing offense in the one-back run game that you can adapt your own concepts and apply it in the system and probably someone who's worked with James Franklin before. Yeah, I think so. And and, and it's not necessarily a buddy thing. And, and James Franklin has admitted in the past that hiring your buddy is not necessarily the way to go. But yeah, somebody that you're familiar with, um, somebody that you can you know sort of bounce thing off. And, and, and it's much more than a position coach, you know. You can bring in guys that you know you've worked with before, or, or you, excuse me, you can bring in guys that you haven't worked with as position coaches and try to make it work. Um, of course, James Franklin's known Tim Banks, has uh, known Matt Livenover, but never worked with him. So um, there's there's sort of a you know a spraying of all different opinions there. But with a coordinator, I mean, you got to be on the same page. Franklin is going to put his input in there, no doubt about it. Um, when you're calling plays, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I think it's one of those situations where, you know, a prior relationship is going to help out whoever's calling that. And, you know, to me again, going back to it, Ricky Ronnie fits that bill. Yeah. He, he checks off a lot of boxes. It'll be really interesting in the next couple of days. Um, and I think again, the, the personal experience comes more to play because again, the system's in place. This is not a situation as it was two years ago where you were looking and putting in all options on the table. Someone who's going to come in and improve the system. The system is here. They're going to tweak it as you know, the new offensive coordinator will see fit, whether he's in-house outside or completely unrelated to what Moorhead's done. But whoever steps into these shoes, man, they are about as big as you will find in college football. And it's not to say that he, they can't come close to replicating the success, but certainly not in the same way that Joe did it. And, you know, ultimately it's results-driven business. So if, if they're slow out of the gates next year, which it's a soft non-conference schedule, but you've got, uh, I think, Ohio State's week five. I mean, we're going to find out an awful lot, you know, about this new OC and, and about the offense very early on. Yeah, and... Um, on top of that, or sort of counterbalancing that, you've got Trace, who's played a lot of football, who knows what he's doing um, in that system. So that that's going to help. That's going to help bust the curve a little bit. Um, but at the same time, you have a ton of pressure, whoever's coming in. All right. Have you felt pressure just going on? We just crossed over a half hour into this. Well, my kids are going to be up in two hours or something like that. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I felt the pressure. But, uh, yeah, I mean... It, Going back to the news earlier tonight, a little bit of a surprise how quickly it moved. But, you know, with the December signing period, I think that's something that has impacted, you know, the, these schools, get, you know, getting going. I think Dan Mullen's probably just cleaning out his office right now to get to, down to Gainesville. And Joe Moorhead's moving in. So uh, kind of crazy how that went down. And But uh, at the same time, you know, all the best to Joe. He's been fun to cover. And 
I mean, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see how it works down in Starkville, or Starkville. Yeah, I don't think you can – I've never cross, come across anyone, whether it's during my time as a student at UConn who was around the football team all the time uh, or had contacts that I developed since then, who's ever spoken ill of him. And not only just ill, but just eh. Like there's, <laughs> there's never been a – yeah, you know, he's good. Like, you know, he's nice, kind of one of those – I don't know what else to say, so I'll throw that out there. You know, guy probably pays his bills, like, you know – He's very polite, you know. It's it's always been. That's what just, you say about me. Yeah, yeah it's that's a go to, really. I mean, that's kind of what you say about anyone, though. You know, right, you, right. like friend or sibling brings. Oh, you know, how's uh, how's so and so's girlfriend boyfriend? Oh, they're nice. Like, well, that's not good. But but with Joe, it was never that. It was always just the highest of praise, and um, you know, I think that that speaks obviously highly of him. But when you get it from so many different sources, it's just like when we're looking to find confirmation on a story. You know, it, it just confirms it that much more. And I think Mississippi State's getting a great coach. A lot of dynamics at play, and it'll be fun to watch um, from afar. So we're not going to have you listen or watch anymore. This is the end. Emergency Joe Moorhead has left Penn State episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We'll be back next week to talk Penn State's bowl game. We will have that come to us Sunday afternoon. We'll be out back on Tuesday. Do a little bit of regular season recap, which this episode was supposed to be. And otherwise, we will see you next week. And, uh... Look at you. Eyes still open. Way to go. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Of course, find us on iTunes, rate us on iTunes, and check us out every week. Thanks for joining us as we approach the December signing period and, of course, the bowl game. Oh, yeah, recruiting. Yeah, that that happens. All right. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week.